Hi, everyone. Welcome back to East Coast Haunts. This is MK. And this is Sam. And today we have a very special guest on our podcast. Her name is Jackie of the podcast Jackie Just Chatters. It's a phenomenal storytelling podcast, and she's got one hell of a murder mystery podcast on there, too, which I think you should check it out. But today we're going to be swapping some stories that her listeners wrote in for the Halloween season. And we're both really excited because it's the perfect way to get in a spooky mood right before Halloween. And before we get started, let me just say, if you want to listen to Jackie, you can find her podcast on pretty much any podcast platform. Remember, Jackie just chatters. And we're also going to link her socials in the description. Hi, ladies. I am so excited to be here and do this with you guys. This is a blast. Sam, I am thrilled to finally be hanging with you. Yes. It's the first time all three of us have been in a a virtual room together. (laughs) I know. This is wonderful that MK, we have had great times talking and it's been phenomenal, but I at last finally get to hang (laughs) with both of you and I've been looking forward to this. Just in time for the spooky season. And this is the perfect episode to end the spooky season with a bang. Absolutely. I I agree. I am so looking forward to this story share. I think the last time I was looking forward to one this much was probably like the first one. For those of you who don't know, probably don't, a story share is I invite writers, any kind of writers, to send in a story to me and then I select a few and read them out loud. Normally, they have to be true stories. So they're like small memoirs. But it was Halloween. I'm like, okay, let's loosen up. And for the first time, I allowed people to send fictional stories. And wow, there there were so many amazing ones to choose from. And this was really fun, too, because Sam and MK helped me select the four stories that we're going to listen to. So it wasn't just me judging I got assistance, and that was a lot of fun. It was hard to pick out because there were some really good stories. We ended up only going with four, but you got some talented writers, which I think MK was about to say. That is, you took it out of my mouth. You've got some very talented listeners. Some of these stories really blew me away. I know. I I wish we had more time, but it would just go on forever. We'll save those for next year. Yeah. Exactly. Next year, we got to do this again. Exactly. Our first story comes from Katie Hoynotsky, a writer and artist from the Metro Detroit area. A creative jack-of-all-trades, she creates short stories, illustrations, and fictional worlds. She has a degree in English and studio art from Oakland University and has regularly contributed work to Sterling Script, a local author collection and illustrated the children's book, I Can See With My Eyes Shut Tight, both available on Amazon. Here is her story, Hide and Seek. Come and play with us. Just one game? It'll be fun. Please, Adam, let's go. My sister turned to me with wide eyes. She held her hands to help me get out of bed. Nikki, no, just go back to sleep. I shushed my sister and shook my head. The children outside kept tapping on the window. Don't be a spoil sport. Come play. This is why no one plays with you at school, Adam. You're no fun, said Nikki, pouting. I winced and took my sister's hand. She smiled and put a finger to her lips as we snuck across the sitting room to the front door. Outside the open window, I heard the others whispering excitedly. The floor creaked under my bare feet. Nikki shot me a look. We both stared at the door of my parents' room. We listened for the groan of the bed frame if someone had woken up and come to the door. We waited for a light to click on, but it didn't. The cottage was silent. I shuffled along behind Nikki. She opened the door and I let go of her hand to grab my father's bulky survival kit flashlight. I grasped it tightly as we slid out the front door, careful to close the door slowly so that it didn't squeak or slam shut. 
Outside, the children were already waiting for us. Without a campfire to sit by, the summer night air chilled me through my pajamas. Nikki smiled at the other children, but I stared down at the cold, damp grass. I didn't want to step on any prickly weeds or stones. We decided to play hide-and-seek, said one of the kids, a little girl about Nikki's age. Her wet, stringy hair was tied up in pigtails. That's my favorite, squealed Nikki. The two of us looked back at our parents' bedroom window. No light switched on to end our game. Relieved, my sister began looking around for hiding places. Her blonde hair swished back and forth. I shivered and wished I had slipped shoes on. A tall boy next to the girl with pigtails pointed at me. Adam's going to be it. We decided, said another child, whose t-shirt was dripping. Yeah, he's it, Pigtail said. I clung to my flashlight with my clammy hands. I felt everyone's eyes on me. How many are playing, I said, looking around at the children. They moved around, and in the dark, I couldn't tell how many there were. We only came up to the cottage once a year, and I had never met anyone else up here. Pigtails glared at me. Everyone, she said. Go and count. She pointed. Her pale, pruny fingers pointed to the end of the dock. It stuck out over the dark lake. How high should I count? As high as you want. Just count, said my sister, before she dashed across the grass with the others. The lavender sleep shirt fluttered over her knees in the breeze. I crept out to the dock, which groaned under my weight. The water gurgled against the dock's posts. I began counting quietly, but the numbers still echoed over the open water until the night swallowed them. Nine, ten, eleven. I squeezed my eyes shut, even when the creaking wooden dock swayed beneath my feet. Seventeen, eighteen. I hoped I could find Nikki and we could go back inside. Thirty, thirty-one. Something splashed in the open water next to me splattering my toes with frigid lake water. 45, 46. I lost track of the echoing giggles of the other children. 50. I still held tight to the flashlight. It was slippery in my hands. I peeked at the black water, worried I might drop the flashlight into it. 57? I looked around. Empty. 58, 59, 60. Um, ready or not, I said to the chill summer air. I clicked the flashlight on. The beam illuminated a face in the inky lake water. I stumbled backwards. The flashlight clunked onto the floor. I heard something large emerging from the water while I reached for the flashlight. I held it out in front of me like a sword. You found me, the tall boy from before spat out water so he could laugh at me. You should have seen your face. Well, that's one, I muttered. Where was Nikki? The silence weighed down the night as I looked for the others. The tall boy followed me. His wet shoes squeaked on the grass. I grew more chilly as I searched. My only light swept back and forth. I felt like a policeman or maybe some kind of monster hunter as I squinted into the cattails along the side of the lake. A pair of eyes stared back. You! I squeaked as the girl with pigtails jumped out. Her bare feet splashed in the mud. She didn't say anything, but she did smile and silently followed me like the other boy. After what felt like an hour, my toes were freezing. I'd found two other children. I think. I kept losing count. I still hadn't found my sister. Come on, Nikki, where are you? You'll never find her, said the children behind me. I stopped and turned to look at them. Under my light, they still looked soaking wet. We told her the best place to hide, said one boy. We can give you a hint, said the girl with the pigtails. Please, I asked. I just wanted to go inside. I didn't care if hints were cheating. The children walked closer to me. They all moved together. I stepped back, but they kept coming towards me. My foot touched the slippery mud on the edge of the lake. The tall boy stepped up and placed two hands on my shoulders. He shoved me back. Just go look. I fell into the black lake. Despite the cold air, the water was warm and smooth. My arms and legs fumbled for the lake bottom, but all I found was seaweed. I was sinking. I heard the children's garbled voices. You're it. 
You have to go find her. She's all the way down. Before I say anything about the story, Sam, you did a great job with your presentation. Thank you, you it was so it was much. wonderful. Thank you so much. And the kids, they were so freaky. I knew something was off when they described them as wet in the beginning. Jackie, I completely agree. Although it took me a little bit to catch on, maybe longer than it should have to catch on that something was up with the kids. And then I read it a second time. And of course, I was like, oh, how could I have missed these signs of the dripping wet hair and everything like that? And then once I realized what was going on, I was like, oh, this, this is going to be bad. I also just wanted to put out there that I was a little freaked out initially in the beginning when they said that there was a group of children standing outside the window because... I like I've said multiple times on our podcast, looking out of my window at night and seeing a face staring back at me is genuinely one of my biggest fears. Yeah. Having those kids out there just wandering around like wild people. Yeah, that was freaky. Where are their parents? But at the same time, I think the reason I didn't realize where it was going so quickly, even though I knew it was a Halloween story is because it reminded me of those 80s movies with, I don't know, like the Goonies. I've actually never seen the Goonies, so I hope I'm not doing like the wrong reference. I know, it's horrible, I know. But like the Goonies or even like Stranger Things where it's like just a gang of kids, like they're in the neighborhood, they all go to each other's houses and climb the trees. Like that was the vibe I was getting. And then it just so quickly took that dark turn, which I thought was really cool and really well done and really creeped me out. I also just thought that the addition of the stringy pigtails created such awesome imagery. I actually felt like I was there when the author mentioned that. It was just a wonderfully done story. The next tale comes from Jillian Black, a writer of various types of fiction, including horror, fantasy, and romance. Although not yet published, she is diligently working on it when not writing or reading, she is usually taking various dance classes, wandering out deep into the woods, or concocting her own beauty products from the plants she grows in her garden. She lives in southeast Ohio with her husband, two young sons, a slew of cats, and an elderly dog. This is our one true story. Don't speak his name. I've decided after seven years... I'm ready to share this story publicly. I've told it to friends on dark nights, and I told it once to a party full of witches. But I've never written it down. Early enough, we are close to the anniversary date of when these occurrences happened. I'm going to be very vague about certain details in order to protect the privacy of certain people and places. Though the informed reader may be able to figure out what infamous place I allude to that features in this tale. I am also purposefully changing the name that the entity concerned gave us, for I am extremely superstitious when it comes to names, and I certainly do not want anything that may call it back. It was September 2016, and we just bought our first home. We were so thrilled. We had shopped for years, facing setback after setback. Finally, we had found the perfect place for us, a 1970s ranch-style house that feels very cottage-like in a quiet neighborhood and that backs up to a dark wood. Our youngest son was under a year old, and our oldest was not quite three yet when we bought it. Moving with children is an ordeal, as many people I am sure can relate and it was done in stages as my husband and I were not able to take a ton of time off work for it. I was a hairstylist at the time, and the morning after we moved the last of our stuff out of our old apartment and into our new home, I had a fully booked day at the salon. That morning as I was getting ready, trying to get the kids squared away and running late, 
I smacked my head on a shelf in the walk-in closet that almost made me see stars, unaccustomed as I was to this new closet. So I rushed into work already exhausted from the move and with a decent headache. All this is to say I was not as sharp as I normally would have been. One of my clients came in that day with some exciting news for me. A close personal friend of hers was going to be directly involved in the demolition of an infamous old haunted mansion, one that had sparked decades of online speculation and haunting accounts. I'd had a love for the place and its history since I first discovered it on a haunted Ohio website when I was just 17 years old. And more than once, I took the long drive out to see it on a dark and stormy night when I needed to clear my head. I loved to drive by, not just the old house, but the entire area. There was just something so eerie about those roads and hills. Our new house was less than a five-minute drive from the place and had been something I noted when we first looked at our house. People all over were devastated that the old place was being torn down. However, from what I heard, the place had become an insurance nightmare and the owners were tired of people trespassing onto the property and destroying it, something that really aggravated me as well. My friend told me that she'd come into possession of a collection of small inlaid bricks from one of the several fireplaces that were in the mansion, and she'd brought one for me. I took it, thanked her, and tossed it into the bag I used to carry my scheduling book and things that I did not leave at the salon. With the whirlwind that I was in at the time with the move, the busy schedule, the kids, so forth, I promptly forgot about the brick. About a week later, one evening as the sun went down, I was sitting on the master bed with my two children while my husband worked on hooking up our bedroom TV. My youngest was asleep, and my oldest was quietly playing with one of his toys. I was scrolling through social media, when I saw a post that a full-blood moon eclipse was taking place that night, and in fact was about to begin within the next minute or so. I was excitedly reading this to my husband when I noticed that my oldest son became fixated on the open window that looked out to the dark woods. It was almost black outside the window now that the sun had set. What is it, buddy? I asked. Kujin wants in, he said, not taking his attention away from the window. At first, I wasn't sure I'd heard him right. My husband immediately stopped what he was doing to look at our son. Later, he would tell me that the hair on his arms raised when my son said this. Who is Kujin? I asked, trying to get my son's attention away from the window, when suddenly he was looking at the empty space just above where he sat at the foot of the bed. He held up his finger as though to poke something when he snatched it back sharply. Ouch, he said, looking at me and cradling his hand to his chest. Kujin bites. I was not having any of that. I pulled him onto my lap and held him tightly to me. Anything that is here with us that does not have an invitation to be here must leave right now, I said. Looking all around the room, my husband watched us with wide eyes. He started to question what I thought happened, but I stopped him. We will not speak of it, I said. We do not give it any more of our attention. And I told my son the same. I am a strong believer that we mortals have more power than we know. And speaking names and giving attention to unseen things brings nothing but trouble. A few days passed and I was home alone with the kids. It was late afternoon and my youngest was asleep in his little hammock in the living room, and I was starting to get dinner ready. My oldest had been playing with his toys on the living room floor, last I checked. I went in to ask him something when I noticed he was not there, but instead coming down the dark hallway towards me from his bedroom. What are you doing? I asked. Kujin says he is nice. Kujin says he is our friend, looking over his shoulder down the hall. 
I flipped on the hall light and knelt in front of my son. We do not talk to Kujin. We do not invite him here, and I'm going to make him leave. If you do see him, you ignore him. Do not speak to him again. Okay, Mama, he said, and he went back to playing with his toys. I gave it some thought. I'd never felt that this house was in any way haunted or had any negative energy attached to it when we looked at it. And I did not know how Kujin kept showing itself to my son, whatever it was, regardless of its intention. And then I remembered the brick. It was sitting in my bag in the hall closet. I'd forgotten all about it. I felt very strongly that the first step to solving this problem was to get rid of the brick. I took it out of the bag immediately and put it into the trunk of my car. When my husband came home, I told him about what happened and my suspicions about the brick. The next afternoon on my way to work, I drove out to where the mansion had stood just weeks ago. Now only a few barns and sheds remained. The original massive house was gone, as though it had never been there. It made me sad to see it, but I wasn't there to grieve. I had a mission. I parked in the old driveway and got out. The sun was low in the sky and there was a gusty wind. I held the small brick in my hand and I pulled back my arm to pitch it as far as I could over the fence. I threw it with all my might, and to my chagrin, it made it just over the other side of the fence. I shrugged. Good enough for me, I said, and I got into my car and left. After that, we never had another Kujin incident. Was it my son's imagination, some dark imaginary friend? Or was it connected to the old haunted mansion that had recently been torn down? There are many different legends and stories about the place, involving mass murderers and ghosts. But the story I knew, one that was less well-known, and that came from a source close to the family who owned the land, says that there is a sort of portal that moves around the property where people can accidentally disappear as easily as things from somewhere else can wander in. Was Kujin connected to the brick? The blood moon lunar eclipse? Both? I'll never know, and frankly, I don't want to know. I'm not overly curious like some. We do not, nor will we ever speak the actual name of the entity to anyone so long as we live. I personally thought that this story was a great addition to the episode because of how realistic it was. And it is based off, if I'm not mistaken, a true experience that happened to someone. Yes. I was actually listening to a podcast earlier today with, it was an interview with the medium Rachel Stavis. And she was talking about how entities can connect themselves to a certain object or a certain location. The fact that once this author got rid of the brick that this cube was attached to and then the interaction stopped and she asserted herself and said you're not welcome here get out that's what this medium said was one of the most effective ways of getting rid of an entity so i thought it was very interesting that is cool oh my gosh when she mentioned the entity's name and like talking about him i'm I could not help myself. I'm like yelling at the story. The brick. It's the brick. You have to get rid of the brick. I just, it was like bursting from me. I'm like, you have to get the brick out of the house. I felt like it was like I was watching in my head uh, a horror movie. Oh, yeah. And I definitely was impressed that she had the wherewithal to 
recognize that it was the brick and return it to its original location because had it been me, I probably would have just chucked the brick out of the window if I even made the connection at all. That was why all these weird occurrences were happening to me. Or honestly, I would have started to think about selling the house, even though I just bought it just because I'd be like, oh, it's definitely the house. But I do think it was so interesting. I know the author said it was her oldest son that kept seeing the entity or talking about the entity. And I feel like it's such a trope in horror movies of the little kid being able to see the being. And it just made me wonder, because this is presumably a a true story, something that actually happened to her. It just made me wonder, I wonder if these entities, they're being shown to children because children are more open-minded or if it's like they're preying on children because children don't know any better i don't know i just thought it was super interesting that's a good question this is so funny because the medium was also talking about this today while i was listening to this podcast and she said that as children were born with the birthright of being able to see and talk to deceased people which is why so many kids report seeing strange things or monsters under the bed monsters in their closet but as time goes on and we get older our senses are being bombarded with so much like sensory information that we lose that ability, but we can bring through like meditation and stuff. So I just thought that was interesting, but that might be an answer as to why the kid was able to see it and she was not. Yeah, that makes sense. It was also really interesting how the house in general, like the house that she would always pass by, it was so interesting how just one brick I know you were saying how you're listening to the podcast today and how things attach themselves to these objects, but it's like, how many bricks were in that house? And I'm wondering, did all the bricks have that entity attached or was it like just this one brick? I don't know. It's just, it's super weird. It really made me think about the whole, like the spirit world and like what we can see, what could actually be in our houses that we don't see and what could be lurking. I don't know. I thought it was really cool. You guys have all these wonderfully deep, thoughtful questions about all this. And my thought at the end is, oh, just thank God she got rid of this thing. That's all I'm thinking. I'm just thinking about all the She got rid of the brick. That's fair. (laughs) Totally. You've got your priorities straight. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Sheila Hanratty gives a spooky story reminding us of Halloween's past. Sheila studied English literature at McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario. For 25 years, she has worked for CHCH-TV of Hamilton. She has been part of the short story collaboration, Writing Through Time, with her work, Romance at the Wonder Grove. She is currently working on her first novel. She enjoys reading and spending time with friends and family, especially her son, daughter-in-law, and their dog, Boo. What a great name. The Cemetery If You Dare by Sheila Hanratty I am Amanda, and my best friend is Lisa. We met in elementary school. We are opposite personalities. Lisa is gregarious and funny. I am quiet and shy. Lisa is and always has been popular and makes friends easily. When we were 10, she introduced me to Blaine and Carson, and we all started to hang around together. That fall of 2012 was an Indian summer, unusually warm, and we were all excited about Halloween. It would be a Halloween I would never forget. I always wanted to belong, to be part of the group. So when I was told there was a Halloween initiation dare, I accepted the challenge. The others, Lisa, Blaine, and Carson, had already completed their initiation dare, and were now part of what they called themselves the tribe. My initiation dare was scheduled to take place on Halloween night in the old cemetery, across the street, down from our school. The dare was kind of scary. My task was to walk across that cemetery in the dark alone. I was determined to do it. Costumes were a big part of Halloween, and we never bought them. We made them. We thought ourselves creative and authentic, However, what we chose was pretty mainstream. Blaine chose to be a rock star, Carson a hobo, Lisa a raggedy aunt, and I a gypsy. On Halloween night, I dressed carefully. I ravaged my mother's closet and found a puffy blouse, a voluminous skirt, ropes, beads, layers of bracelets, and large hoop earrings and a bright scarf. I applied makeup too, mascara, rouge, 
rouge and lipstick. Wow, did I look the part. My mother helped me put everything together, but she had no idea of the scary thing I was about to do. That was a secret. A bond between us kids. No adults allowed. What was I thinking? She thought it was like any night of trick-or-treating, just going around the neighborhood block with my friends. At seven o'clock, the doorbell rang. I opened the door and there stood Lisa in her Raggedy Ann costume. She wore a little house on the prairie dress with a white pinafore, white pantalettes over red and white striped socks, and a red mop-like wig on her head. Her cheeks red circles and the bridge of her nose featured painted-on freckles. I wanted to fall down and laugh hysterically. I restrained myself and kept a frozen, toothy grin on my face. I said, you look great. She said, thanks, you too. We bid my mother goodbye. Be careful, you two, she called as we charged out the door. We were to meet Blaine and Carson in front of the cemetery. Lisa grabbed my hand and we ran all the way there. (laughs) (laughs) There they were, waiting for us. Blaine looked incredibly handsome in his rocker dude costume, black t-shirt, black leather jacket, jeans, and boots. He had done something creative with his hair. A true rock star, I thought. Carson looked good, too, in oversized pants, jacket, a crumpled fedora, and black soot on his face to enhance the hobo effect. It was exciting to dress up, but then I remembered what lay before me. I truly wish we had skipped this part and just go trick-or-treating. Not possible, I thought. The cemetery was not that big, and beside it was an ancient, been-there-forever little stone church. The cemetery had trees, shrubs, tombstones, and statues. It was surrounded by a creepy wrought iron fence with a plaque that spelt out cemetery. It was gated on two sides. I was to enter at one gate, cross the cemetery, and exit at the other gate, where the others waited. I had to do this completely alone. I had passed this cemetery only in daylight. It was dark. A full moon shed some light, but it was creepy and shadowy. I had no flashlight. The three of them now faced me. Carson said, I don't think she's brave enough. She looks scared. Lisa looked at me and then back and said, No, she's not. She's as brave as you. She took me by the shoulders. You've got this, Amanda. The truth? I was scared out of my skin. The air was damp and strange sounds were everywhere. I stood tall and said, Sure, I got this. It came out more like a squeak. Blaine and Carson looked at each other with raised brows. Okay then, they said. Meet you on the other side. They ran off. Lisa stood there a second longer looking me in the She squeezed my hand and said, Girl power. I nodded and repeated, Yeah, girl power. Then she too ran off to join the boys. I was now standing alone facing the gate and gathering all the courage I could. I slowly opened the gate and it creaked on its hinges. I walked through. The only light was the full moon. The night air felt clammy. The leaves on the grass swished at my feet and I tried to focus on the shapes of objects ahead of me in the moonlight. I wanted to run at top speed to the other side of the cemetery, but it was too dark. Everything looked different. I moved gingerly. The image of a tombstone loomed up and I put my hand out to touch its rough surface. I was well aware that there were dead people lying below. Would they be angry at me for trespassing on Halloween night? I felt like the night might swallow me. I wanted out. I walked further, this time next to a large tree. My hand could feel the texture of the bark and I stared up into the branches. A slight wind picked up and the branches swayed. They looked like tentacles reaching down as if to grab me. I heard an owl hoot in the distance. I heard a fluttering sound, something flying. Birds don't fly at night, I thought. No. Not birds. Oh my gosh. Bats. They come out at night. I waved my arms crazily, and the fear made me run without watching where I was going, and I tripped, my body sailing downward, smack to the earth. I could smell the soil. I was stunned, but I sat up, struggled to my feet, completely disoriented. I stood trembling, taking a moment. 
not knowing what direction to go. And then, something just appeared from nowhere. It was a light, dim at first, and then it got brighter and brighter, moving ever closer toward me. I could just make out the shape. It looked like a lantern. Then the outline of a shape behind the lantern. It was carrying the lantern. The shape looked human. It was a man. I was frozen in fear. I thought, this is it. My life is over. I wanted to scream, but nothing came out. I wanted to run, but my legs wouldn't work. The man was upon me. I looked up at his tall figure. The light revealed his face. It was an old face with whiskers. He wore a jacket and trousers and a cap. He stopped, peered down at me, and said, Well, we missy, what are you up to? I shivered. He bent a little closer, and I could see his eyes. The eyes were not scary. His eyes looked kind. This calmed me a bit. He took the lantern and shone the light to the right and pointed with his free hand. Look there, you see? The lantern shone and the mood seemed brighter. I looked in his direction and saw the shadowy outline of three figures at the gate. There it was. I took one last look at him and he winked. I bolted. I ran like I'd never run before. I ran right into the waiting arms of Lisa. The chances of me heading back to that cemetery were slim to none. But I did go back, only it was years later. I was in my senior year of secondary school, my graduate year. I had an English assignment. My task, a written report, a historical landmark in the area. The old stone church and cemetery came immediately to mind. I was curious about its beginnings, so I thought, why not choose it for the assignment? I went to the local library to see what I could find. It had loads of stuff in its archives. Articles, letters, documents, historical background information, and pictures. I was so excited, and I started to shuffle through everything. I came to a section about people. There they were, the original staff of the church in the 1800s. I slowly went through the pages. The pastor, the cook, the housekeeper, the caretaker. I stopped, and my breath caught in my throat. For staring out at me from a photo was that face, the face I would never forget. The eyes, the whiskers, the cap, even the coat. I read the caption beneath, Gus McFarlane, caretaker, 1800 to 1865. No, this can't be, this can't be right. It's him. He was in that cemetery. I saw him that night. That night when I was 10 years old. He was there. I remember how he helped me. My whole body went still. I needed to know. I immediately packed up all my stuff and flew out of the library. I headed straight to the cemetery and it didn't take me long. I found the proof I needed. I opened the gate, the same gate of so long ago. I wandered around, and there, close to the old stone church, was a tombstone. The inscription read, Gus McFarlane, caretaker, beloved by all who knew him, 1800 to 1865, rest in peace. A chill ran up my spine, and I shivered in my skin. My blood went cold, my mouth went dry. A ghost, a kind ghost, but still, I'd seen a ghost that night, that Halloween night. MK, I want to thank you so much for bringing this story to life that you did a great job and oh my gosh this thing gave me so many just vibes and feels the whole retro of just going halloween as a kid it just so reminded me of when i was little and i wanted to ask you guys did you guys buy or make your halloween costumes me personally when i was a kid my my mom would always let us pick out like a Halloween costume. So I was a big buyer back in the day, which I know is not great and not creative. But in the last few years, I would say ever since maybe junior year of school. So not a few years, the better part of a decade. But I have gotten much more creative with my Halloween costumes. And I do have to say that now making them, 
is one of my favorite projects that I take on throughout the year. And I have to say, I think I've come up with some pretty good ones. I also always bought mine. I don't know. It was just like I, I we always bought them. I was uncreative. I would pick one out from the Halloween magazines that would come in the mail. And that would be what I got. But it was a huge ordeal picking out what we were going to be each year. But to go off side note about starting to get creative as you get older, I can confirm I wanted to tell you two of MK's past costumes. Last year, we had a Halloween party when we lived together and she wore she did Audrey, too, from Little Shop of Horrors. And she that a lot of that was wow. like a DIY. Yeah, it was like very intricate. It was really good. So that was I'm really impressive. But then I'll also never forget. It must have been like, I don't know, maybe like my like eighth birthday or seventh birthday. And MK was there, of course. And she was dressed up as a turtle and her face was painted green. Like her body was painted green. <laughs> And she had a giant like turtle like shell and onesie on. It was like incredibly realistic. <laughs> so I'll never forget really that. Not, that okay. was not the concept I thought you were going to bring up at all. I, I am the odd one here. I have only ever worn one bought costume. Which was? Wow. It was the Pink Panther. And Ooh. it was I was little, and it was just this thin sheet of plastic. Think of a trash bag that was like this little plastic trash bag suit with it printed on it, and one of these the cheapest mask that went over your face and like almost smothered you because you're just <laughs> inhaling your own carbon monoxide. <laughs> but I loved it because I'd only been allowed to wear Terrifying. homemade costumes. And we threw it out the next day because it was just garbage. And then after oh. that, I went back to always, it was homemade costumes. That was the only one I ever bought. Though I will say one of the my favorite, easiest costumes ever, you get a green sweatshirt or sweater, whatever. And then you grab a whole bunch of Christmas ornaments and then you pin them to your sweater. You're a Christmas tree. Done. You, that's adorable. Oh, that's so easy. So and easy. you have all the you have everything down in right. the basement storage. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so does everyone know what they're being for Halloween this year? So my only Halloween event this year is I'm going to MK's murder mystery party that she's throwing. <laughs> so I will not be wearing anything besides for that. But my family went to Germany this summer. This is going to sound like so pathetic. But I got the little German like Wiederhosen outfit, whatever that's called, like for girls. So I was like, I think I'm just going to wear that around the house on Halloween. But the following perfect. perfect. Yeah. All right. And what are you guys going to be? We got for my husband a Charlie Brown shirt. And then I have this blue dress. So I can be perfect. Lucy because that's what we call each other is Charlie Brown and Lucy. Like when we and first can, met, that's so cute. He was wearing the Charlie Brown sheet with the cutout holes for a ghost. Oh, that's and that was so how we, cute. When we I first met, that. I had no idea what it even looked like. For like the seventy percent of the evening, because he was that's covered. true love right there, and and we played games. I and, love that, and it was fabulous, and we had a great time. And it was only later that I knew what he even looked like. So it's it like was... the show Love Is Blind. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a blind date, though it wasn't a date. He was my card partner, <laughs> and um, that's really cute. <laughs> it, it is. Oh. Our last tale comes from Tom Tommen. His writing journey began in the early 2000s as an English teacher in China, where he crafted a crudely self-published textbook about American culture for his students. In 2018, he began writing an account of his nine years in Asia. This is still a work in progress. He also has written a fiction project about a group of mythical creatures who live among humans in modern society while hiding in plain sight. Our story, The Disappointed Huntress, is set in a similar universe. The Disappointed Huntress Had anyone looked up, they would have seen what they thought was a short, slender woman dressed in black, crouching at the end of a roof. They would have been wrong. 
It scanned the streets from its perch at the corner of the tallest building on the block. From this vantage point, it could watch two deserted avenues. A group of three men spilled onto the sidewalk from the bar it was stalking. Drawing an annoying hiss from its fanged mouth, it was waiting for a solitary prey. Hunger gnawed at its stomach, began to salivate at the sight of the men walking toward it. Killing three men would be simple, but it would bring undue attention. Better for one person to simply disappear. The bar door opened again. One man stumbled out. He staggered towards a car half a block away in the opposite direction. It watched the three men as they passed beneath it. They were talking loudly among themselves, oblivious to their surroundings. The lone man reached the car, stopped and fumbled in his pocket for keys. The huntress launched itself off the roof and glided on wings that seemed too small to carry it. Talons snicked out from its fingers like cat's claws. Its blue hair flowed in the wind, framing a disarmingly and ironically innocent pale face. Landing on the drunken man just as he was opening the car door, the huntress sunk its fangs into the back of his neck. Venom injected into his bloodstream, paralyzing him instantly. The creature stabbed its talons into the prey's chest and back for a grip, and then beat its small but powerful wings to lift them into the night sky. The man was surprisingly heavy, but it managed to carry him back to the roof it had perched on earlier. The huntress lay its prey on his back, and he stared in horror as it licked his blood off the end of its fingers after sheathing its talons. An evil smirk crossed its face. There was enough meat on this man to satisfy it and its three offsprings back at the lair. But first, a treat as a reward for a successful hunt. It unsheathed its talons again, using them to cut open his skull to get at the delicious brains inside. As his head cracked open... The huntress howled in frustration. <sighs> Empty. This was a politician. No wonder he was so heavy. He was full of crap. It couldn't take him back to the offspring. His meat would be so tainted it would poison them. The huntress kicked the lifeless corpse, turned around, and crouched to watch the bar's entrance. So the Huntress reminded me right away, for some reason, it reminded me of that story, A Modest Proposal. Do you guys remember reading that? I had to read it in high school and it was just like a satirical, I don't know, it was like a a satirical short story. Oh, is that by Pope? About the babies? Yes, yeah, about eating the babies or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I don't know why, but for some reason, because I feel like it's just like a modest proposal. If I'm remembering it correctly, it starts off serious. And then as it goes, it gets like ridiculous and silly. And you realize it's like satire. And so with this one, I don't know if you would define it exactly as satire, but it was definitely making fun of politicians. And I thought it was hilarious. I agree. Like, that was this twist I love. Like, you never expected gory gruesome satire like it was really funny and that's i think one of the reasons why it stood out so much from the other ones it was just so compelling that twist though it was funny i was listening to it and going over it with my husband and he was like what really creeped him out the most was the fact that the huntress had children that there were more of them lurking around He's like, that really bugged me. That was freaking me out. That didn't even cross my mind until now when you're saying that. But yeah, there are many little huntettes out there ready to swoop <laughs> up the men. It was genuinely hilarious. We told you this, Jackie, last time we were talking about when MK and I were reading it. We both, once we both got to that part, we were like cracking up. We were like, I just did not see this coming. And I didn't realize it was going to be funny. And then it was. <laughs> I was admittedly fully immersed into this story 
country. I was like there in my mind on that street corner. I was watching this huntress with her flowing blue hair get this guy. And that, the line that it was a politician, took me out of it so fast. I almost got like metaphorical lash. I was like, what? And that's what made it such a great story because I did not see it coming in a million years. Same. Yeah. <laughs> the first time I read it, I was like, what? And, and I had to read it like three times. <laughs> to be like, is, did I really? Holy crap, that is. Damn, that's funny. <laughs> it was a great story. Yeah. And Mary-Kate, like you said, it just the whiplash, it going from being like this gory, detailed account, body horror vibes to like all of a sudden, oh, ooh, they just, the author really, it was really well written. And I really enjoyed reading it. Yeah, me too. It was well written and the details were just intense. You were there. They, the author just did such a good job of, of bringing you in. And then bringing you out, like you said, it really was whiplash. <laughs> and before we end this episode, we just want to take a minute to say thank you so much, Jackie, for thinking of us for this haunted episode. We absolutely loved reading and helping you select the stories. You've got some incredibly talented listeners, and we can't thank you enough for helping us with all the editing and everything else. It's always such a pleasure to do podcasts with you. Once again, please go check her out. Jackie just chatters on all your regular podcast platforms. Go check her out. Thanks, Jackie. We had a great time. Bye. Bye.